0: I only have one rule, and the rule is that you are respectful and kind to every member of our family, or you don't get to interact with any of us. And this one is really powerful for anybody who has kids, because I know that some of you have aunts and uncles and sisters and grandparents and in-laws who treat you like shit but want a relationship with your daughter, right? They're disrespectful to you. They do all kinds, but they want access to their grandbabies. And I'm telling you right now, that is the most unhealthy thing. In what world do you think it is healthy for a child to grow up, you know, loving their Nana and she does all these things and she spoils them rotten, but then they watch her treat mommy like shit. Hi, guys, it's Rach, and I'm back for part two on our conversation about boundaries. What are emotional boundaries at their most fundamental level? Why do we need them? How do we put them in place? How do we uphold them? Like all the stuff. That's what we're talking about. And it's such a big conversation that we're doing a part one and a part two. So you are listening to part two, which is going to be great. But really, to get the most out of this conversation, I would suggest you go back just one day, one episode in the show, and listen to part one in that I talk about what a boundary is and what are examples of your personal boundaries being crossed, what are situations that maybe you don't even realize are boundary crosses for you. So go check that one out before jumping into today's episode. Last time we talked about what a boundary is, today I want to talk about how to set boundaries and why you should have them in the first place. What are the positive effects of holding these boundaries in place? This isn't just like new age, hippie, like, oh, what are your boundaries? In part one of this, I talked a lot about autonomy, I love the definition of words because one, I'm a writer, but two, I feel like when you look up definitions, it often gives you a different perspective on a word than you originally were thinking of it as. So for autonomy, the definition is the right or condition of self-government, self-government. Autonomy is that you are in charge of yourself and having healthy emotional boundaries basically starts and ends with you believing in your right to govern yourself, to not let somebody else have ownership of your experience, your emotions, your feelings, your actions, none of it that you, I'm assuming if you are listening to this, are an adult, or if you're under the age of 18, you are at least a teenager who's already thinking in a mature way. And if you are, then you understand, or hopefully are beginning to understand, that you have rights and you have worth as an individual on this planet. And it doesn't matter how much you love your partner. It doesn't matter how long you've been together. It doesn't matter... How your family is structured, period, point blank, you are still an individual being and you have the right to yourself. That's autonomy. The rights that you have to self, I think, involve the right to feel safe, to feel safe where you are, to feel safe in your emotions, to feel safe in your feelings. And I think it's worth saying on this one in particular that the best indication that you have of safety is the conversation that you're having with your intuition. Your inner knowing, your highest self, your intuition, whatever you want to call it, always senses whether or not a situation or a person or a relationship is safe for you. There's an incredible book called The Gift of Fear by Gavin de Becker. It's, it's old, but it's still wonderful. And in that book, I will never forget, he says, humans are the only animal that will sense fear and continue walking toward it. If a deer senses something is unsafe, she does not hang out to find out if it's true. She's out she is bounding across the forest. She's out of here. She's not going to wait and see. She's not going to feel it out. She's not going to talk to him anyway because she feels like a bitch if she doesn't. She's not. No, she's gone. But we will get a weird feeling in our gut. We'll get a weird feeling and we don't know what it is, but we excuse it away for a myriad of reasons, usually because we don't want to be impolite. You have the right to feel safe at all times. And you don't even need to explain why you don't feel safe in someone's presence, why you don't feel safe in that house, why you don't feel safe in that building, why you don't feel safe in that experience. doesn't matter what it is. You don't have to justify your feelings to anyone else, but you have a right to them. So you have autonomy. You have the right to feel safe. You have the right to privacy and respect. You have the right to privacy and respect for why you want that privacy in the first place. Yeah, I feel like I'm trying to think, and the only examples I can think of are of privacy are inside of a marriage that lasted for a very long time. And that marriage started when I was very young. And so I had no other frame of reference for how a relationship was supposed to be or like, zero awareness that I had autonomy over my feelings, that I was allowed to be my own person. Like, we were so enmeshed, and I was so molded into who I thought I was supposed to be. And the privacy thing is not something that occurred to me at all. And I would relish, like, just relish when I would have a business trip. Because it would be 24 hours of just being by myself. It would be 24 hours of nobody asking me, What are you doing? Where are you going? Like there was a constant, like checking in and what's happening and what. And I don't even know why that existed. But for me, it was this like nails on a chalkboard, like every time I, you know, to do it, what are you doing? And I would constantly like be on edge about, I'm going to get a glass of water. I'm going to use the bathroom. I'm good. So when I was away, I wouldn't even do anything. Like I literally just like be in my hotel room, like watching Netflix or something, but the ability to just have privacy was like nourishing to my soul. And I did not understand that that was my right. I thought I had to like only get it in, you know, these like little moments away from my regular life. And I actually understand now I would have been so much healthier and so much calmer if I knew that I had a right to my privacy, even inside of a marriage. And my relationship today, I I love and it's so wonderful for so many reasons, but maybe the best part about it is that he was a fully grown, mature, adult human who had done all of his work, had done all of his therapy before he ever met me. And I have done so much work. In a fully grown adult human. We were not kids coming together to figure out this wacky world. We were two fully formed adults who were like, hi, this is who I am. And he was like, hey, this is who I am. And then we realized that those two people were very compatible as partners, but we are not enmeshed in each other. We are completely formed individual human beings who are walking side by side in this life. And we have today, I have so much privacy. I have so much of my own life, my own existence, and I really have a hard time imagining ever getting back to a place where it looks different than it does today. I can't imagine sharing finances with someone ever again. I can't imagine needing to answer to someone again about what I'm doing or where I'm going. I just, that is a personal choice. And I think privacy shows up in a lot of ways for us as individuals. But I just say that in case any of you have this sort of like irritated, skin-crawly feeling where you you need to escape. I remember reading, um, Glennon Doyle when she wrote Untamed and she talked about going and sitting in her closet floor and it was like the only place that she could go to think and be alone. And I cried because that was me. I used to go hide in the closet. I used to sit in the floor in the closet with my back against the wall because it was the only place I had privacy. Now, in retrospect, unhealthy, but I also I'm glad, you know, this is why I love people who write their stories, share their podcasts, you know, put it out there because we see ourselves in someone else. And I was like, oh, thank God it's not just me who hid in the closet. So I say that in case some of you right now need to be reminded that you have a right to your privacy. And I know, you know, it's worth saying, I know there are all kinds of feelings about that because many of us were raised with really conservative Traditional ideology around what it means to be in a relationship, particularly if you're in a relationship with a man, and particularly if you're in a relationship with a man coming out of a culture that is patriarchal, you know, that says that men know best and men have all the answers and we should let them, you know, be in charge. And I know all of that stuff exists. And I guess if this conversation, ruffles your feathers for some reason, maybe there's something there. Because honestly, if we're secure, if we're good, if everything feels really good to us all the way to our soul, our feathers don't get ruffled even if we disagree with what someone's saying. So if that kind of hits you in a certain way, maybe you need to explore that a little bit. Uh, You have the right to be heard. You have the right for someone to hear you and what you are saying, even if they don't agree with it. I found myself in a conversation with someone the other day, which is like where this whole idea for this podcast episode came from, is interacting with someone who has no emotional boundaries and is constantly trying to push past other people's. And in this conversation, they really wanted to talk to me. But the truth was they really wanted to talk at me. They did not want to be in a conversation. They didn't hear a word I said. In fact, it didn't really matter what I said. The only thing they used my conversation for was to flip it and to tell me why I was wrong. Yeah, I was not heard in that interaction. And here's a Personal boundary, I kept telling this person, if you don't lower your voice, like I will not speak to you if you keep raising your voice. And if you don't lower your voice, I'm not going to have this conversation. And they kept, their voice got louder and louder and louder. And they started to get to the place where they were yelling. And I said, again, I am not going to talk to you if you are going to talk to me like this. And I finally hung up because I'm 40 and I'm not going to do this anymore. I have worked too damn hard in my life to get to this place of peace, to let anybody come into my space with negative energy. I am so down to do life with people who don't think like me, act like me, love like me, vote like... I'm here for it all. I got every kind of family member you can imagine. I got conservative, super very different for me in terms of how they vote, very different for me in how they believe and the church that they, all of it. And I can love them for the people they are based on one very simple rule. I have one very simple rule when it comes to who can be in my personal space and who can interact with my children and who can come in to our sphere. I've got one rule and I'm going to get to it in a minute, but let me finish this list first. And Sofa's at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now, it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. You have the right to be heard, and you should not be in relationships with people who do not listen to what you're saying. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone, and they're not, literally not even listening to you, they're just waiting for their chance to talk? That's not you being heard. You have the right to feel validated, but not by someone else. You have the right to feel validated in yourself. You have the right to understand You don't need someone else to tell you that you are worthy to be worthy. You don't need someone else to tell you that your feelings are valid for them to be valid. Period. The last thing is that you have the right to have your no respected. The same as my daughter and her no being respected, you have the same exact right. Those are the rights that you have. And I hope that you remember them as we go further into this conversation on boundaries because some of this stuff's going to come up. You're going to try to start asserting yourself. You're going to try and start speaking your truth and saying what you need. And you're going to have people who push back. And I want you to remember the rights that you have and the autonomy you have to self-government. All right. We're gonna land this plane with how to set and create boundaries. But before we get there, I just wanna have a quick moment on why. Other than the right to removing toxicity from your life, which is amazing and so incredible, I wanna give like really practical reasons why having emotional boundaries is going to be so freaking great for you. And the first one is, you are going to have so much more energy. You're going to get better sleep because you're not going to have insomnia because you just got in a crazy conversation with your mom right before you went to sleep. You're going to have so much more energy because you are not expending emotional energy trying to deal with someone else's chaos. You're not expending emotional energy taking responsibility for the shit that your sister's doing. You're not expending emotional energy being the balancing touchstone in your family and playing peacemaker between your siblings and your parents. You're going to have more energy because you're not opening a vein on a daily basis and giving everything you've got to everyone else around you. So that's why you need some boundaries. The second thing that's going to happen is that you are going to have more confidence and more self-esteem. It's so easy to lose both when you are letting someone else control you. It's so easy. Once someone understands how they can manipulate us, how they can use a little dig, how they can use shame as a mechanism, how they can do little things and say little things, once they understand how to make us their puppet, Even, by the way, if they don't consciously know that's what they're doing. Maybe it's a survival technique that they have left over from their childhood. I don't know, and I don't care why they are the way they are. All I care about is how I am acting in the moment. And I'm glad I thought of that because this is the other thing that drives me insane. This is the other thing that I think has been used to control and manipulate so many of us is that when you call someone out on the way they are behaving or when you say that you need a boundary, it's the people who immediately start making excuses for why they are that way. Yeah, but you know that her mom was emotionally abusive to her and that's why she acts this way. Or yeah, but you know that he has a gambling addiction and so it manifests like this. Or yeah, but you know that his ex-girlfriend cheated on him and he's never been the same. Yeah, but, yeah, but. Let me tell you actually exactly what I said to this person who realized they had crossed the boundary, who reached out later and was like trying to backpedal, blah, 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 And I was like, here, let me just be very clear. I'm going to tell you not everything I said, but one thing I said to them, I said, I can totally understand why you would do what you just did. I get it. I've done the work, done a lot of therapy. I understand how being in a severe emotional state makes you lash out at other people. But Just because I understand why you made that choice does not excuse you from your actions. I tell my kids, if there is one line I tell my kids more than any other, it is this. Do not listen to what people say because people will say anything. Watch how they watch how they act because actions never lie. There's a whole backstory for why someone is behaving the way they're behaving. But just because you got a really good excuse doesn't give you the right to be shitty. Because by bringing up someone's past as a rationale for behavior, we're going back to a boundary crossing, which is to ask you to take responsibility or to ask you to feel badly for something that happened to them or for the way they are behaving. And that's not okay. So one of the beautiful things about having boundaries is that you will have more self-esteem because you will begin to trust yourself again. You will trust yourself to take care of yourself. And if any of you have done IFS therapy or inner child work, you'll also have a calmer sense, a more centered feeling with those younger versions of yourself because the adult who you are today is really in control. They trust that you have got it because you're beginning to act in ways that is protective of those younger versions of yourself. If you want to learn more about that too, if you have no idea what I'm talking about when I say IFS therapy, there's an incredible book called No Bad Parts. And it's it's just so good. So if you want to explore that a little bit and understand how a younger version of us can really take full control of our whole body, our emotions, our feelings, all of it, they can take control. Like literally they get in the driver's seat. If you've ever had a situation where you feel like you react super rationally or you get really angry or you basically you have this emotional spike. And then later you're like, what the, what just happened? That is you being hijacked by another part of yourself. And that book is, oh, it's so good. And if you get the audio book, um, he does really incredible guided meditations too. So Highly recommend if you've never heard of that before. The last thing that having boundaries is going to help you with is you're going to be better at spotting those red flags. This is for any of you who find yourself in a continuous cycle of dating douchebags, of dating crazy girls, of you keep going, what on earth? How do I keep attracting these people into my life? This is really going to help you to spot red flags faster because you're going to learn this behavior even in this conversation I was having with someone because I've done so much work on boundary setting I was almost like watching the conversation sort of one step removed from it and like fascinated like oh my look at you look at you trying to use shame look at you trying to use guilt look at you trying to blame. Like it was a psych major could have written an entire thesis on the things that this person was saying. And I was just watching it like, whoa. And what's so beautiful is like, I got off the phone and there was a part of me a hundred percent, which is why I want to do this conversation. There was a part of me that was triggered by that. And I know exactly what part of me it was. I know exactly what age I was when this woman started manipulating me in this way and I didn't know what boundaries were and I had no idea how to protect myself and I was a puppet to this shame, guilt, all of it for years. So I know which part of me was triggered and last night when it happened, I prayed and you know I burned some sage around myself and I – had a conversation with that younger version of me. And I was like, I got this. You are not that little girl anymore. You do not have to take part in this. You do not. And all of these things that I was feeling, I can recognize were from the version of me who believed that she had to be a good girl. The version of me that believed that she had to please everybody. And oh my gosh, what will happen if this person doesn't like me? Or what will happen if this person, you know, thinks I'm bad or like all of these things that that version of me would have worried about. And I can tell you with just so much, with every fiber of my being, I could not care less what this person thinks of me. I could not care less. I know who I am. I know who I am down to my core. I don't see myself as better than I am. I don't see myself as worse than I am. I just am this version of myself. I work hard to be the best version of me that I can be. And you cannot manipulate me into believing something else because the second that I start to allow those things to take root is the second that I slip back into a world where I try and please her and do exactly what she wants me to do so that she gets the emotional hit that she's looking for. So I did a lot of work on that last night, but that's one of the biggest pieces. And I wrote in my notes here, I'm like, this will take grit. To get good at emotional boundaries, it's gonna take some perseverance. It's gonna take some grit. It's gonna take you getting a thick skin and really knowing yourself Because that's the game that's being played, is can I use or which method of emotional manipulation can I use to get you to do what I want you to do? Oh, guys, if you don't follow Dr. Nicole, you have to. She does these amazing skits where she pretends to be like a parent and then one of her team Mates pretends to be like a kid, and it's like what it's like. It's like basically a real conversation of if a parent actually knew how they were emotionally. I'm not explaining well. Please go watch them. Her reels are fantastic, and even though there are a bunch of different kinds of parents, I somehow see my parent in everyone. It's wild. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously. During the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, The good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. TravelTexas.com slash get your own. Okay, so we talked about why you should set some boundaries. Now let's talk about how to set boundaries and how to hold them in place. (sighs) You remember in school, did you ever have like a cheerleading team, pep rally team who did the be aggressive cheer? B-E-A-G-G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E, aggressive. Oh, I would have been such a good cheerleader. Anyway, we are going to be assertive, not aggressive, and there is a difference. Let's look up the definition of the word assertive. Having or showing a confident and forceful personality a confident or forceful personality without being aggressive, without being rude. And let me tell you, the person who is used to you crumbling and falling for it and taking part in this absolutely unhealthy emotional relationship you have, they are going to immediately say that you're being mean that you're being aggressive, that you're being a bitch, that you're being rude, that you're being fill in the blank. In fact, they'll probably find the one word that is most effective in getting you to cave. Cause they're really good at it even if they're not conscious of it. So you have got to work on being assertive and assertive means that you say exactly what you need. You don't get emotional about it, You don't make excuses for it. You don't build a whole backstory. Like when I was on tour last, there was this activity that we did in the audience where I asked you to think of the dream that you were working on, the goal that you had for your life, and then you found a stranger in the audience and you were supposed to tell the stranger what the goal was. The key is that you have to tell them the goal in a sentence because what women especially do – is they'll give a whole backstory. They're like, they want to say that their goal is to write a book, but they'll be like, well, when I was four years old, I was on a train with my family. There was a horrible train accident. They'll start giving a full biography of their life because they're basically asking permission to have the dream that they dream. And they think that the only way they can get permission is to give you 72 justifiable reasons why they deserve to have this dream in their life. So what I would say is the same thing happens when we're asking to hold boundaries in place. We believe that we got to give a whole backstory. And no is a full sentence. Now, inside of relationship, I do think it can be really powerful to explain to people context for it. So my example of this is probably about 14 years ago, My I had two young sons. Maybe they were a little bit older, but I remember that there was a member of my family who was really struggling with drinking. They were drinking a lot. And they would come to every family party. We'd have like birthdays or Thanksgiving or whatever. And they would come to family parties and they would always end up drinking way too much. And when they would drink too much, it would make me feel really uncomfortable because they're a member of my family. They would make me feel really uncomfortable. I felt like I had to like protect them. I felt like I was like trying to just like – it was just a lot. You can use your imagination. And I started to pull back from inviting them to family functions Because I had so much anxiety about how they would behave. And then I felt like that wasn't really fair because I was pulling back from someone I love very much, but I wasn't being mature and I wasn't explaining to them why. And so they didn't even know that there was a situation that they could correct. So I agonized about it for months. Like I was so scared to have this conversation because I, at the time, I wasn't very good at having a hard conversation. And so I thought about it a lot. I prayed about it a lot. And I, the next time I was with this person, I said, you know, I love having you come and I love that the kids are getting to know you and like experience you in their lives. But I have to tell you, when you come, you tend to drink quite a lot and it makes me feel very unsafe and it makes me feel scared and it makes me embarrassed. And like, I want you to be aware of that because I don't want it to affect the family and I don't want to affect whether or not I invite you and you know I really want the kids to know you but if this is what it's going to be I I don't want you in this house. And I was so nervous. I'm sure I said it nicer than that. But I was so nervous because I really thought there's no way this person's going to react well and they really took it in, like really heard it. And I mean, it's been 13 years, 12 years, and they've never had a drink in my presence again. And, you know, at first I like felt, I'm like, oh my gosh, like of course, like have some wine, you know, whatever. And they very kindly, that was probably like my um, codependence or whatever. They very kindly were like, I'm not sure that I can have one drink. Like I tend to, you know, be a lush and kind of life of the party and do the thing. So they were like, I, I heard you and I don't ever want to make you feel like that, obviously. So I'm just not going to drink. And it's been over a decade and they have kept that. Now, not everybody is mature enough to do that, but it ended up going so much better than I thought that it would And it happened because I spoke my truth. I said what the boundary was. And I think the important thing with boundaries is that you do not tell this person how they are supposed to behave. You tell this person how they need to behave if they want to interact with you. See, that's the thing. The family member I was talking to last night I don't care what she thinks of me. I don't care if I never speak to her again. I don't care. I have no, I'm like, you are the one who wants to be in my life. If you want to be in my life, this is how it's going to be to interact with me. And I'll tell you, because I promised I would, that I only have one rule. And the rule is that you are respectful and kind to every member of our family, or you don't get to interact with any of us. And this one is really powerful for anybody who has kids, because I know that some of you have aunts and uncles and sisters and grandparents and in-laws who treat you like shit, but want a relationship with your daughter, right? They're disrespectful to you. They do all kinds, but they want access to their grandbabies. And I'm telling you right now, that is the most unhealthy thing. In what world do you think it is healthy for a child to grow up, you know, loving their Nana and she does all these things and she spoils them rotten, but then they watch her treat mommy like shit. They watch her make mommy cry. What kind of psychology is that? Because all you're gonna do is now raise the next generation of kids who's like, "Uh uh-oh, whatever we do, don't piss off Nana. We want her love and affection. Look how nice she is to us. We don't ever wanna be like that because you are showing your kids how people are allowed to treat you, which means you are showing your kids how people are allowed to treat them. So my rule is you are nice and respectful to all of us or you don't get to interact with any of us. Here's a fantastic example. We have family members who are very conservative and have really strong beliefs about LGBTQ+. My son, as I've said publicly, and he's very much out, is queer. And you do not get to pick and choose which of the kids you want to interact with. And you don't get to have the kids in the room and make snarky comments about woke culture or people who are gay or, you know, trans rights or all of the stupid shit that they like to bring up. Like, we're out. That, that don't – we don't that do – because, y'all, that – if you don't understand that that is deeply passive-aggressive attempts at manipulation – When someone's not talking to you, but they're talking within earshot about something that they know that you are, that they know that you do, or that they know that you care about, that is passive-aggressive emotional manipulation. And you are not allowed to make snarky comments that you know are going to affect one kid And then worship the other one because he's the broiest bro and plays sports and is your dream. We don't do that shit. Are you crazy? I don't care who you are. I go so mama bear on this. I will cut you out. I will never talk to you again. I literally... I know that this is so countercultural because so many of you grew up in families where your family is shitty and they're mean and they do awful things, but family is family. And so we always show up. Uh uh-uh. uh. Nope. I have the most incredible friends. I have the most incredible community who are like family and share our values and treat everybody well. I don't need to interact with you. Why? Because we got blood in common? No. Mm -mm. Nope. No, we don't do that. So that is my rule. You are kind and respectful of all of us and you are kind and respectful of all of us and our values or you don't get to interact with any of us because that's the other thing that happens is those little comments, you know, you go home for Thanksgiving and someone will say something that's like, you're like, gross. Like, thinly veiled homophobia or thinly veiled bigotry or some shitty thing, I'm like, we will leave. Because again, I don't need you to behave this way at all times. I'm not trying to fix you. That's not my problem. You are on your own journey. But if you want to interact with me, if you want to interact with my family, these are our values. And I know – that you know how to behave in a different way because you sure do behave in a different way when you're out in front of church on Sunday. So if you can show up for those people and pretend to be all of these things that you are clearly not exhibiting in this moment, then I know that you know how to flip it on and off. So you can flip it on and off for us or we just won't be here. And the freedom of suddenly not having to interact with toxic relatives is one of the greatest things that can happen to you legitimately. So uh, assertive but not aggressive. The other thing is physical boundaries. So that's when, you know, that's me having a conversation with a family member and saying you can't come into this space and get drunk. That's me having a conversation with a family member and saying you're going to be nice to us or you get to interact with none of us. I mean, like, your home is supposed to be your safe space. Your home is supposed to rise up to meet you as Oprah used to say. It's supposed to be your nest. It's supposed to be this like protective bubble for you. And when you allow negative toxic energy into that space, you've breached the walls of your bubble. You've you've put a crack into this thing that's supposed to be keeping you whole. This source of energy for you and your family is being affected because you're letting negative energy into it. And speaking of this, I do want to touch on it's kind of a weird way to take a conversation on boundaries, or maybe it's not. And I'm going to go into my one of my like woo-woo, hippie, spiritual things, but roll with me for a second. I really think it's also worth saying that you should be upholding spiritual boundaries. Spiritual boundaries meaning every single person, animal, creature, anything in the world is putting energy out. And you and I both know that there are people who have toxic energy. There are people who have negative energy. There are people who they just, they're, adding something into the mix into the world and that's not great. And I think that those kind of energies can linger. I think that energetically negative stuff can attach to us, it can attach to spaces and I just think it's really important to acknowledge that because after I got off the phone last night I smudged, I smudged my room and I smudged myself. Smudging is, you know, you burn sage and you clear out the space. There's not magical power in burning sage. It's what it symbolizes. It symbolizes a cleansing. It symbolizes that you energetically are saying, nope, we're clearing this energy out because only goodness is gonna be here. Oftentimes I'll imagine a white light or a amber light sort of in a protective bubble around our house. I'll imagine it around my kids. I'll imagine it around my partner as he's traveling for work. I'm like praying a protective hedge around our family. And there are times where I think if you're attuned to spirituality, if you're attuned to something bigger, it's like you'll feel Something not right in the space that you're in, whether it's at home or out in the world. And it's just a reminder to, you know, go in and pray protection around yourself. I wear an evil eye necklace and have for years. I haven't taken this off. I don't believe that this evil eye necklace has magical powers. I believe that every time I see myself wearing it in the mirror, that I'm like energetically praying protection around. I'm just being reminded of that intention. So for whatever that's worth, having boundaries spiritually where like if you feel something, something feels not right, you go into a space, you're staying in a hotel room, like just like something feels wrong, that those boundaries matter almost more than any other that you that you protect yourself. When it comes to boundaries, setting boundaries and creating them, I really want to make sure that you understand, if you haven't done this before, you are, it's like building a muscle. You're going to have to practice. You're going to have to keep coming back to the yoga mat and trying to do, you know, a plank for a little bit longer every time, a little bit longer every time, a little bit longer every time. And then suddenly you can hold a plank for 25 seconds without puking. It's the same when it comes to boundaries. It's very possible that the first time you try and put a boundary in place with someone, it'll fail they'll say something, it'll make you spiral, you'll end up accidentally doing exactly what they wanted you to do. But as long as you keep coming back to the imaginary map, that you keep working on it, that you learn to say no, that you you'll learn to say no way before you can learn to say no without feeling guilty. Just sit with that for a second. The first step is, do I have the courage to stand up for myself? The second step is, okay, now I'm standing up for myself. How do I do this without constantly feeling like I'm going to throw up? This is a process. And you are getting me at the end of years of work, but also you're getting me after I have had to learn to put so many boundaries in place for my own Health, for my own peace of mind, for my own emotional stability. Honestly, here's the last thing I wrote. This will take grit. Establishing emotional boundaries is huge. It's something that very few people ever even attempt because it's so difficult. But the rewards from climbing this particular mountain are equally as rewarding. The other thing I wrote was to remember that this will be hard because you don't have experience with it yet or maybe you don't have enough experience with it yet and the person that you're trying to establish boundaries with, they definitely don't have experience with it. So if they don't have experience and you don't have experience, just know that makes it all harder. So one of the things that you can do to boost yourself up as you try and take it on is just to surround yourself with more information, people who are way smarter than me, read their books, go listen to their podcast, go follow Dr. Nicole, so you have some shoring up of the rightness of your cause so that you understand how valuable this work is and that you are justified in wanting to do it. All right, guys. I hope this episode was so helpful to you. I hope you heard something you needed to hear. I hope you got some ideas. And I hope more than anything that it pushes you further on the journey to doing the work to take control of your emotional experience. I will be back soon with more information. As always, please consider subscribing to the podcast. This is the first time you've listened. Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. Uh, Give the show, um, if you love it, go ahead and give it a bunch of star ratings. If you don't love it, just keep that to yourself. And if there's something I said today that you think will be helpful, please, please, please consider sharing, putting it out in the world. I will be back soon. With more information, with more ideas, with more conversation. Until then, remember, I love you and I'm rooting for you. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.